I would tell anybody that if one wants to be in business and own the business and operate it, the only way it should happen would be if they're really going to enjoy it and want to put in a whole lot of extra effort more than anybody else would expect of an employee. And if someone does that, they can probably be very successful if they're smart as well. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. Welcome to the Elevate podcast. Our quote for today is from Bill Gates, and it is, effective philanthropy requires a lot of time and creativity, the same kind of focus and skills that building a business requires. Our guest today, Bill Cummings, has been a brilliant leader in both business and philanthropy. He's a decorated entrepreneur and has led the Cummings Foundation since 1986, which is recognized as one of the most generous uh, philanthropic organizations in America today. He's the author of the new book, Starting Small and Making It Big, of which 100% of the proceeds from that book have been donated to charity. Bill, welcome. It's great to have you on the Elevate podcast today. Thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here with you and I appreciate that nice introduction. Absolutely. So, Bill, your book goes into detail about your upbringing. You were born during the Great Depression and described frugality as a family passion. How did that influence you both personally and your professional development? Oh, I think that my background formed in the Depression has been a factor in my my entire career right from the start. And it was always a question of watching where the money went. Just not buying anything without making a value decision first. Is it worth it? And I'll still do that. It's part of my makeup now. And so have you ever raised money in, in your business endeavors or was that was that having to work from the money you had was sort of a forced discipline? Bob, we have never had to go to do anything in borrowing other than to get mortgages from local banks when you know, early on in my career would go to local savings banks, really. And the results were always good. And we never had to get into a situation where we had venture partners or anything of that nature. That made a huge difference because I never had to do a lot of begging and bowing and scraping. It was (laughs) just a question of go build the buildings and fill them up and lease them and provide good service. And as we got into more and more commercial real estate, and without ever planning it, that's where my career went. So how did you get started? First of all, I got, how did I get started out of college? Probably the start there. Graduated from Tufts in 1958 and went to work for a company called Vic Chemical Company in Greensboro, North Carolina. And Vic Chemical made Vicks VapoRub. Oh, yeah. And everybody knows Vicks VapoRub still, I think. But it's nothing like it used to be as a major worldwide product, but it's still around. Uh, I had a great training program with Vicks. I highly valued it. I went and stayed with them for two and a half years. Then I decided it was time to get a little different experience. I joined Gorton's of Gloucester. That's the seafood people up in Gloucester, Massachusetts. And sold frozen fish products for the next two and a half years. That was my corporate America experience, if you will, and it served me extremely well. I had an opportunity at some point when I 
was disappointed with one particular situation at Gorton's and decided it was time for me to start out on my own. I had an opportunity to buy a small food products company, bought that company in Medford, Massachusetts, had a marvelous time, and I made fruit punch. <laughs> That's a pretty good product, huh? Fruit punch, concentrated fruit punch. And it was the Old Medford brand, and at one time, Old Medford was the same company that made Old Medford rum. So we uh, were down in Fulton Street in Medford, Massachusetts, and I did pretty well down there and bought the company for $4,000. And had been in business for, at that point, for 80 years. Brought it up to sales of better than a million and sold it for a million. And that was at a time when the million dollars was worth probably three times as much as it is today. But that gave me money to build a building on the property where we had the fruit punch plant. And I leased it out and decided that was a good business to be in. Bought the land next door. Put one building up on that, then put another building up on next next door land, then built another building between the first two, and had a real business at that point. That was the start for me. And so from there on in, your focus was on real estate? When, once I sold Old Medford Foods, which was the name of that company, but it, again, it was just Fruit Punch and other flavors of fruit drinks. Once I got out of that, it was just commercial real estate from that point on. Now, I'm curious, you, you, you know, you talked about um, that first job, and I know that um, you've praised sort of their management and leadership and training. In what ways do you think business schools are not, not preparing students to lead companies, and how, how could they improve in that area? I've had quite a bit of experience very recently in, in talking to lots and lots of college students, including quite a number of business schools. As recently as last week, I was... Uh, I spoke at Oxford University and had a had a marvelous visit there. But what I'm seeing with the students that I meet is that so many of them are just really into electronics and they're looking at new software that they can create, new applications and new apps for this or that or something else. And there's a huge payoff when they connect with those things. And... I think there's not a whole lot of attention anymore to building a just an old-fashioned type business, build something or make something and sell it at a profit and contribute to society that way. They're losing sight of that completely today. Well, even someone who wants to focus on, you know, a technology or an app or something like that, they still, unless they're going to get some funding and sell it in five minutes, which I think the one or two that do that probably distort the percentage of success that that is for most people, but they need to build a company around that. And and a company creates, a product is a product, but a company creates successive products. Exactly. Yes. Yes, indeed. We're not seeing a lot of people looking to build an, an enduring business, and and maybe that's just because. And I actually, well, part question, part statement. I, I think again that is because they see the few winners, which is like someone making the NBA. I'm not sure they see all the people who thought they were going to make the NBA and then aren't really happy where they ended up. Absolutely, that's an excellent comparison. There, it's fantasy world versus real world sometimes. And so often, you know, the, the people are, by the time they build the business, they, before they build to finish building it, they're thinking what their exit strategy is and how, where do they, where do they go from there? And I've just never, ever thought about going into a business that way myself. 
strictly old-fashioned from, from my perspective anyway. Totally out of date. <laughs> well, but when you bought those businesses, you had sold them, right? So it was improving and sell it. So was the plan always to sell it or were you just responding to market conditions? The latter. I went into the first business thinking I might make a career there with VIX. I went to Gorton's, the same, thinking the same thing, notwithstanding that I had always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Right. One of the things I tell in the book is the first time I ever heard the word entrepreneur. And I, I know just where and when it was. It was it was back in my freshman year at Tufts in French class. And the teacher taught us the word. We talked about French words in use in the U.S. She told us about entrepreneur. And I was very pleased. I had it sort of as the answer. I could do what I wanted to do and there'd be a word for it. So that was when I learned entrepreneur. It was not a, a word you ever heard on the street at that time. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Yeah, and a, and a lot of the, the venture back that I think, you know, if you look at the success of M and A, there's just there's a lot of win lose today in business. It sounds like, you know, your career has really been a win win. You've you've built up a business that's employed a lot of people, been a great place to work. You've you've created a lot of personal wealth, and now you're actually able to focus on the Cummings Foundation and giving back. So you're really able to you know accomplish all those goals simultaneously. Was that was that part of the plan, or 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 sort of what, which was the chicken and which was the egg? I have to tell you, Bob, there wasn't any plan ever. Yeah. For instance, I've never done a business plan. I've never written even in school. I've never, I never had to prepare a business plan for anything. It was always just, I've started a dozen businesses 
of various types along the way. But uh, there was never it was never went into it with the idea of this is how we're going to go. We just took what came along and and optimized it really. So what are your guiding principles? Uh, you must have had some things that you were trying to get to or what you wanted to do or not want to do. What What is the consistent thing across everything you have done? Oh, the most consistent thing is to always try to do the right thing. And that might be pretty difficult to figure out sometimes. But that's been so important. Anyone who graduated from business school would absolutely know that you should never personally guarantee a debt. Everything should be done without personal guarantees, but I did everything with personal guarantee. We had mortgage loans, but I was personally responsible if they weren't paid off. Uh, we've probably got 110 or 15 buildings, major properties today. Uh, there are no mortgages on any of them, but when there were, it had my personal signature on it, along with any corporate signature that might have been involved. So I just was never afraid of that. It's always been the way that we've worked. We try very hard to work with subcontractors who do the most of our building construction. I have never been to court with anybody about a bad debt. You hear so much in the national discourse today that you're supposed to take advantage of anybody anytime that you have the opportunity. And we just, just haven't wanted to go that way. It makes me sick sometimes I hear the national politicians <laughs> talking about that type of thing. But we've done it a different way, and it's always worked. Well, I know also when you when you first met your wife, Joyce, you had a, a pretty frank conversation with her about work-life balance and your career goals. Why was that so important for you to do early in your relationship? Well, again, in terms of being honest with her going in, and I would tell anybody that if one wants to be in business and own the business and operate it, the only way it should happen would be if they're really going to enjoy it and want to put in a whole lot of extra effort, more than anybody else would expect of an employee. And if someone does that, they can probably be very successful if they're smart as well. But to go in and have a business and be the last one in and the first one to leave at the end of the day doesn't work or say, well, I've got, I've got this to do with that to do or something else and it does nothing to do with the business. I think it's important, it's, it's vital to have a balance in work-family relationships. But Joyce knew ahead of time going in that the business would be important and it wouldn't be a 40-hour week. And we would work things through, and we did. And she's been great for 50, almost 53 years. And now we do spend some time together. She's active in the foundation, and we've got a team of people who run the business. And I don't have much to do with that at all anymore. That's kind of a you know different place to be in life, but it beats a lot of alternatives, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And I think it's not probably not something that people are upfront of about setting expectations in, in all aspects of their life. And you've talked a few times about developing leaders in, in your businesses. I know you were, you were quick to identify uh, Jamie McCown as your successor at Cummings Properties. How did he set himself apart, and how did you groom him for that role? Jamie is McEwen. McEwen. Jamie McEwen okay. was a local guy, very sincere, very smart. He was a product of the Woburn Boys Club at that time. I had been a director at the club for ever since I started business in Woburn, probably more than 50 years ago. I met him at the club. He was 
he was a boy of the year there and was a leader there and he had his first job with us and he was somebody who was that I could learn from right from the start some of the things whose his character issues that that I would take guidance from certainly and we had a nice relationship and that just it just grew over a period of 17 years altogether it got better and better and then suddenly it wasn't anymore but I was very concerned about succession planning and that was when something was going along beautifully and then suddenly it wasn't anymore but those things happen don't they when you're hiring for your small business you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role that's why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, and so when Jamie he passed away in 1996, which is what you're were alluding to. So what what was the plan from there? Did you have to step back in, or did you have another group of leaders behind him ready to to step up? No, that was a time when I was still very active in the business. I was I became active as chairman, and we he and I had already identified his successor, who was Dennis Clark, who didn't at that point know it himself, but that was his future job. And he's not a local guy. And uh, eventually, Dennis moved into that position and became president of the company. And we've been able to recover nicely, but those things take a huge toll. And even today, though, we we recently, Dennis moved out of that position and moved up to chairman of the company. And that really gave me a lot more freedom to be active in the foundation. I never wanted to sell the business or anything, but we created the foundation. and. As I said, when Dennis uh, took over as chairman of the company and gave up the presidency, he took my job as chairman, and Eric Anderson succeeded me. And I know you know Eric, and he succeeded Dennis and is now president of the company for the last year and a half, I guess. And life goes on, doesn't it? Yeah, as a quote, I'm probably going to butcher this, but I heard one, someone said, I think success without successors is not success. <laughs> and it sounds like that's something you've you've really focused on is not making yourself the the center point of, of your work in these organizations. That's a very fair observation, Bob. I hadn't heard that quote before, but I like it. It's uh, certainly something that it's vitally important in any organization once it begins to get substance and and people who owe it to the employees of the company, it's vitally important to protect them. And that doesn't happen if a business has to be, since somebody, an owner moves out or dies or what happens to an owner maybe, and they immediately have to sell the business, that disrupts, needlessly disrupts a lot of lives. 
Yeah, and, and you can feel free to attribute that quote to me, misattributed. You know, that's how. That's how. <laughs> okay. So I heard. I heard Bob say it. So I once saw a speaker who said that the, and there's probably some truth to every joke. He said the first time he says a quote, he attributes it to someone. The second time, there's no attribution. The third time, it's his. Okay. <laughs> I always thought that was funny. So talk, let's talk a little more about the book and the Cummings Foundation. I'd love if you could just share the the scope and the mission of the Cummings Foundation. I know this is where you're spending most of your time and what both kind of what you've been able to achieve and, and what you're hoping to achieve over the next few decades. Well, we work in the foundation with primarily local organizations. And my goal from the start was to give back in the communities where we derived our funds and our, our wealth. We've been able to do that in a substantial way. So the Cummings Foundation has got a couple of billion dollars in its accounts, hmm. but um, more than half of its real estate, the rest are former earnings. And it is supporting probably a thousand organizations in Eastern Massachusetts already uh, with a thousand organizations that have received grants of a thousand dollars, I'm sorry, a hundred thousand dollars or more each. And it's um, something that will gradually expand, probably to include a wider geographic area. But at this point, it's all eastern Massachusetts, except that we also just opened a new university in Rwanda. So that's a big jump. Do you know Paul Farmer? Yes. Our partners in Health? Yeah. Dr. Paul Farmer? I've heard the name, but I, I don't know him directly. Okay. Well, he's He's done a magnificent job of providing health care in remote areas of the world. He's, he grew up in the South. In fact, his family lived in a school bus for, for quite a few years. He got himself uh, enrolled at Duke and did well there and was went from there to Harvard Medical School. But along the way, while he was at Harvard Medical School, he started building a hospital in Haiti as a student. Uh, he made a lot of trips down on weekends. Each time, he'd bring more medications with him for his clinic and his hospital. The firm that he founded, Partners in Health, is today has got close to 2,000 employees anyway, uh, working in 11, 12 countries around the world. But we came to know Dr. Farmer fairly well. Their office is in Boston, by the way, and wanted to support his work, and that included a new, a new medical school in, uh, near Kigali, Rwanda. So that becomes the, the far first real involvement outside the local area. And the foundation has been involved in that right from the start. And it was delightful to see it, um, the formal campus opening take place this year already. So that's our one big digression from the local area. Locally, we work with, say, hundreds of primarily small organizations. We try hard not to give funding to anyone that's got more money than we do to start with. There's a tremendous number of really good organizations in Boston of you know, the Mass General types and the and the Harvard University or Museum of Fine Arts or, you know, a whole, whole lot of organizations in town that do marvelous work. But we're looking to try to be helpful with the smaller ones that none of us have ever heard of before. That's great. When, look, you said you talked about billions within the foundation. I assume that that means you have committed to give away most of your wealth through the foundation. Yeah, very much so. We've... Um, I know you've read the book and you're aware we joined an organization called The Giving Pledge yeah. that was formed by Bill and Melinda Gates and by Warren Buffett. 
and the members of that organization have all committed to give away at least half of their wealth. We've already given our children all they're going to have, and they've actually given some of it back hmm. to the foundation uh, in substantial amounts. But um, everything we have at this point, we don't. Yeah, was that a big part of? Um, can you talk about your your children and sort of how you how you made gratitude and generosity part of your family values? Well, I don't know exactly how we did it, but we have been delighted with the results from <laughs> what they've shown us, though certainly. And it's um, you know, it's been a part of my wife's growing up years, and and it's part of mine. Joyce came from a higher economic bracket, certainly than my family was, but not rich by any means. And we learned what philanthropy was all about, though, from a very young age in both cases. And I'm curious, I always like to end with this question. What's a personal and professional mistake that you made that you learned the most from? Probably the biggest mistake I ever made was letting us completely develop a building, uh, the building called Trade Center 128, which is on 128 here in Woburn, 995. And the building had actually started construction. I looked at it and said, why do we possibly need all these parking spaces? There's more than we could possibly ever need here. And we didn't need them for code compliance. So I said, let's just take off the top floor. Don't build the top floor of that garage. So the six-story building was going to have a six-story garage, but I made it a five-story garage, and that was one story too few. <laughs> and so we had to build another little garage beside it to take up the slack. So that was a hasty decision. I won't say you should never make hasty decisions, but it's a good idea to talk about them more than I sometimes do with your colleagues. You give other people a chance to tell you when you're doing something stupid. I didn't do it that time. That was my, that was my biggest one. Well, you talk about doing the right thing, but how, how do you know, and if you're not big on planning, how do you know what is right and what is wrong? There's a whole lot of intuition involved, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it at that. Well, Bill, thank you for joining us today and sharing your story. Your experience teaches us so much about what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur, but more importantly, how you can pay that success forward and share it with the world. Okay, well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed the conversation and it's a pleasure to have gotten to know you a little bit. Great. Well, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast. We'll include links to Bill's foundation, as well as his book, Starting Small and Making It Big, which all the proceeds are donated to charity on his episode page on our site, robertglazer.com. And if you enjoyed today's episode, I'd really appreciate if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Uh, you can learn how to do that by following the link right on the podcast page. And until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, 
serial entrepreneurs Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.